following is a message from Axe Church Lakeline, a church located in Northwest Austin, Texas. For more information and other messages, please visit us at axechurchlakeline.com. From Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Read it with me. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the end of this church year. We thank you for um, letting us focus on hope and hope in a painful time. And and we ask that you might uh, settle our hearts enough to uh, be spoken to by you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. What I want you to do is to uh, look to your neighbor or somebody that feels neighborly next to you. Tell them what you're hoping for. And then we'll be back in like 45 seconds, okay? What are you hoping for? People in relationships, that was your moment. This is what your spouse or significant other is hoping for. I hope you took notes. Uh, What are some of the things you're hoping for? Elf? Health. I was like, elf? (laughs) Health. That's a good one. Health. What else are you all hoping for? Shout them out. A better year. Preach. You're up next. Oh, No. Who? Anybody else? (laughs) Health. Legacy of faith. Much better than a puppy. Good family times for Thanksgiving. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Anyone else? What are you hoping for? Rest. I told somebody earlier, uh, but if you need to, now is the appropriate time to adjust your seat to whatever angle. I'm not even joking. Like, you fall asleep, your neighbor will get you. But this is the time for that. Let this be a rest of time. What else? Anything else? All right. Well, I was in a coffee shop because I work out of coffee shops in October. It was the second. It was about a month and some change ago. Talking to somebody who was just planning to get married, and now she's married, and and she was really excited because she says, Barrett, here's what I do. I get all my Christmas shopping done before November. And I was like, now you're just showing off, and is this because of the wedding? And she's like, no, this is just what I do because then I can sit and enjoy and have rest and focus more on family during all of the holiday events. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is what this is what I need in my life. And so I looked and I, I, I started, I had Krista emailing and I was emailing and I was like, okay, family, what do y'all want for Christmas? I'm going to figure this out now so that when I get to Advent as the pastor, I can actually celebrate Advent, right? And this was something that I'm hoping for or, or was hoping for 
and uh, it's kind of trickling in, but I've got a week left, right? And hope is, hope is, hope is a good thing. Hope's a good thing, but, but I think we need, we need hope when we, when we look backwards, right? Or, or in the process of looking backwards, that's when you say, oh, forwards, it's in, in the future, it's going to be different. I'm going to be able to enjoy family more. I'm going to be able to rest this holiday season. I'm going to, I don't know, do all sorts of things. Maybe you're saying, I want to shoot for a legacy of faith. I, I want to do that. So going forward, I, I, I'm going I'm to hope for that. A lot of times when we look backwards, um, we look backwards and there's regret or guilt or, or shame or just when we look in the rearview mirror, it's, it's like, ah. I have a reason for hope because I know that the life gets dark sometimes. Life gets dark sometimes. When you're looking through, uh, this book is navigating grief and loss. A lot of times that happens in the rear view where you look back, and it's no different today. Um, today we're talking about hope when you thought you were over it. When you thought you were over it. And, and I was, as I was going through this and, and reading what we were uh, going to study this week, I, I was thinking about it, and I said, uh, you know, when you thought you were over it, a lot of times that it has a name and a face. And so hope when you thought you were over it can sometimes, you have to ask the question, who was it? Or who is it? Or what do we do when, when we feel pain? Not just from a random, you know, maybe it's an institution or something like that, but, but a lot of the times when we need hope, it's, it's because we've, we've been wronged. We've been wronged. Last week we talked about guilt, and that's kind of when, when you were the wrongdoer. Today we look and we say, you know, I might have had, not have had any active part in this, but where do I find hope in that? I think uh, something that, that struck me as I was reading this book was, all of the different ways it happens. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. It says, right there, right when you thought you were convinced that you could take up your normal routine, a debilitating sense of deject- dejection stopped you in your tracks. Has it happened to you too? Is it happening right now? At unexpected moments, your eyes well up with tears. When you don't anticipate it, when your heart becomes heavy and your stomach feels the dread. When, when you tremble, when you thought the trembling was over, you find a note, you hear a song, you feel the spring breeze, you drive down a street, someone tries to get in touch with you, that calendar on the, the date on the calendar just keeps coming around. You hear a child you go to a family gathering, and it all comes rushing back. You thought you were over it, but the tears flow, and the heartbreak hurts again. And the next sentence is, you're not alone. Sometimes it's as easy as a song. It's as easy as a song. There are so many songs that are sung at, uh, be it a funeral, or, or just a, a normal Oftentimes it can happen in church. I spoke at Concordia this week, and they were playing the Te Deum, 
which is a, we praise you and acknowledge God because of this, this, and this. And, and a lot of people don't like it because the, the music is not at all like music we sing. It goes, that's what it does. And my eyes welled up with tears. And I was like, I don't know why this is happening, but I love this piece of music. And it, and it didn't spark anything in particular. It was just like, so it, it just all came rushing in. And I'm like, I got to lock it up. I got to talk pretty soon. I got to lock it up. Can't go in there with watery eyes and puffy. You know, like, and so I pushed it away, right, because I'm a professional. But, uh, but it was one of those things. You guys know, maybe, it's, maybe you're looking through something. Maybe you've moved, and you, you look, and you're like, oh, that note's there. Or like the book said, you're driving down a street. Oh, this is where... We used to meet. So many times it can come at us from out of the blue. It just comes at us kind of like a freight train. And it happens when, when we're not expecting it. And that happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. Today we're going to talk about uh, the person um, Joseph from Genesis. And if you want to read his story, you can go to Genesis 37 through 50. Think about this. Genesis 37 through 50. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the whole world. In Genesis 3, all of humanity falls into sin. And then Joseph gets 13 books, 13 chapters at the end of this book. Interesting. We're not going to read all of that, but it goes pretty quick. It's a lot of narrative. If you want to do that and look at the life of Joseph, he has so many ups and downs. It is a beautiful and fascinating life. Uh, Read that then, 37 through 50. But to give you the overview, or to maybe dust the rust off of uh, the Genesis part in your brain, um, here's an overview of, jo- of Joseph. When he was 17, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. Joseph, if, if you know plays more than you do some, some Old Testament stuff, this is Joseph in the coat of the Technicolor coat. He's the guy running around with, all the, with, the, with the great coat. Well... Turns out he was his dad's favorite, and he was kind of a jerk to his brothers, okay? And so they got kind of annoyed by that when he said, I can interpret your dreams. Y'all are going to bow down to me because I'm the best. They get ticked off at that. They, they make up a story. They sell him into slavery. They were going to kill him, but then one of the brothers was like, yeah, we, could, we shouldn't do that. And so he sold into slavery at age 17. Most people get a driver's license around that age. He was in slavery. He finds himself in the service of Potiphar after, you know, his little journey. And Potiphar had a wife. And Potiphar's wife was, let's just say it, she was a cougar. Okay? She looks at Joseph and she's like, this is a strapping young man. And he's got a pretty sweet coat. Like, no, it's, he didn't have a coat then. But she looks at him and the cougar, what does she do? She goes after him. And then when he says, I don't want any of this, lady, uh, he runs. She accuses him of, of going after her in a relational sense. And what happens? He goes from slavery to prison. He goes from slavery to prison. And in prison, things don't get much better for him. He, he's in prison for a while, and he, he does some things, and he says some things for the people that are around him. And he, he keeps on interpreting dreams, and he gets forgotten about, and eventually somebody remembers him, and and they say, we need you to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. And so he does. 
And at 17, he's sold in slavery. Then he has an issue with Potiphar and his wife. Then he's in prison. And when we get to chapter 41, when we get to chapter 41, Joseph is 30. 13 years have gone by. And his life looks completely different. His life looks completely different. I want to read this. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to read a long chunk, but it's a good chunk, and I'll have the stuff up here as well. This is from 41 and 42. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven year, the, the, the dream that he had, the dream was this. There's going to be a, a breakdown of this. There's going to be seven years of abundance, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. So we should probably plan ahead. And so he does this. He does this. And when he's elevated to um, the service of the Pharaoh, this is what he does. During the, and then 47 goes on like this. It says, during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. The food that he, that, that through God's grace, he interpreted this dream and it's like, hey, there's going to be a lot of bounty here. We should keep, we should keep it. And, and then he had the wisdom to be like, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. He couldn't count it. The guy's number two in Egypt, and he couldn't count it. Part of his job, I'm assuming, was record keeping. He's like, there's just so much. There's just so much. I'm going to put this over here so I stop drinking. So when you think about that, maybe you have a job and things are going really well. When, when you're being blessed in your job, it, it probably doesn't even look like that, right? I'm doing really well. I can't even count how many blessings there are behind me. So if you think about it, from 17 to 30, from slavery, imprisonment, false accusation to 30, his job prospects are pretty darn good. He's as, probably as high, he's as high as he can go in Egypt. He's the senior VP of a country. He's the vice president, we'll call that. And, and life is looking good. So slavery to that in 13 years, pretty darn good. We continue with verse 50. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Job, check. And then while, while everything was being plentiful and he's doing well, he starts working on a family, right? He's like, oh, family. Well, I, I have some margin now. I can, it feels like things are going well. Maybe I'll start a family. And he has a family and he has two sons and we hear about them here. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it's because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Things are going good. My job is going great. I've got a family now. And, I, and I'm going to name my kid based on the fact that my troubles are behind me. And so is my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Oh yeah, at 17 I was here and then I was in slavery and then I was in prison. 
but, but now life's really fruitful. I was suffering, and life has done a complete 180. He was over it, right? He was over it. And he, he didn't have to think about it anymore. His job was better, his family was better, and he was over it. Verse 53, the seven years of abundance came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food, and the Pharaoh said, to, he told all the Egyptians, he says, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. When the famine spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. Chapter 42 starts like this. When Jacob, that's Joseph's dad, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, I love this. This is such a, this is such a family moment right here. Take your Bible hat off and put on, like, family sitcom. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? Come on, y'all. He continued, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down and ask to buy some so that we may live and we may not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. Now, Joseph, this is verse 6, a couple uh, Chapter, or a couple verses later. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all of its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. You're sold in slavery 13 years previous. You've been through prison. You've been through a whole ordeal with some cougar. And then you're at this point, life's looking good, your family's looking good, everything, you thought you were over it, everything's looking good. And then your brothers come up and they're at the, they're the inciting incident in this whole thing. Yeah, you might be a little harsh with them. And he puts them kind of through the ringer of everything. And outwardly, he, he's pretty harsh, right? And sometimes you and I, when, when, when the feelings come rushing back, we can have a little bit of a burr to us. We can have a little bit more of a sharp knife edge to us. Outwardly, we're pretty harsh, but, but internally, this is what we see in verse 24. It says, he turned away from them, and he began to weep. He turned away from them, and he began to weep. I love what Mike Newman says. He says, when Joseph saw his brothers, the past came rushing back. He heard from them a whisper of words of guilt and regret. He saw the expressions on their faces and was reminded of their cruelty. He remembered his own brashness and his vanity. It was all very strange. More than 20 years ago, Joseph was violently grieved by his brothers, and after two decades of healing and forgetting, convinced that God would make him forget his hardship and his heartbreak, Joseph realized that grief doesn't easily disappear. It may recede into the background for a while, but the hurt remains real for a long, long time. You are not alone. His brothers show up and he's not over it. And he didn't think he, him, he thought he was over it. When it was like 20 years when it said that, we don't have a, a bunch of our college 
crew here, but, but that's their lifetime, right? Maybe you're 25, maybe you're 30, and you can think back and say, yeah, there was some hurt 10, 15 years ago. I'm 33, and I know that stuff keeps bubbling up from when I was 20. Maybe you're 40, maybe you're 50, and you that maybe you were uh, the same age as Joseph, and you're like, oh, 20 years ago, that thing, it still hits me sometimes, and I, I don't know when it's coming. Maybe you're 60 or 70, and you look and you say, yeah, that's a real, that's a path we've been down before. And I don't know when it happens, but it happens. It comes rushing back. And I say that to say we all, this, this, this is not an uncommon experience. It can feel uncommon. Sometimes you look around and you're like, I'm the only one who's ever felt this before. But it's not. You're not alone in this. Because it happens to all of us. Grief and loss happen to everyone. That's the first thing I want you to know is to trust in him. You're not alone. The second thing is to, to trust in him. And you're like, okay, I'm feeling all sorts of emotions, and it all comes back, and you're like, oh, just trust in Jesus. You're a pastor. Of course you can say that. Real nice, Barrett. Give me some depth here. Give me some meat, something to chew on. So I want to, I, I, we are going to land on trust in him, but I want you to look at uh, Paul and what he says in Romans chapter 15. It's Romans 15, 13. We read it earlier, and I'll just read it to us this time. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. As you trust in him. Not because you trust in him, but but as you trust in him. As you're doing that, as every day you say, I have to trust you because this doesn't make sense to me. As you trust in him, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. So that you may overflow with hope. While you're trusting him on, on that ongoing journey of trusting him. It says, so that you may overflow with hope. That looking into the future, you can look and be hopeful by the power of the Holy Spirit. I know this, this can be hard, especially if you're in the thick of it right now. You're like, yeah, trust in him. That's, that's all you have for me. If that's where you're at, then, then go on a mental exercise with me. If that's hard, there's a reason that's hard. It's because you've dealt with grief and loss. If that's hard, you have to ask yourself this question. Is he trustworthy? Is God trustworthy? Is Jesus trustworthy? Most of us need to ask this, but if you're going to deal with grief and loss, you really need to ask him this. Paul has the kind of internal proof inside of scripture. He's like, hey, if the resurrection didn't happen, we're to be pitied before anyone else. And, and it's kind of along those lines. If he's trustworthy, then let's go to the next step. Let's try trusting in him. If he's not, then don't. Go deal with grief and loss any other way the world tells you. But if he is trustworthy, and I think he is, because I look at this, and I, I look at the empty tomb, and I say, if that's true, if that's the first true thing, then there's so much. And he said, this is who I am, and this is what I do. I'm the way, the truth, and life. Come to me, all who, all you who are heavy, have heavy burdens, and, I, and I'll make it easy. 
If that's true, then we can look at him and we can trust him. And, and you don't have to trust him blindly. Like, we don't know why all this is happening. And I understand uh, that we don't have answers for a lot of that. But we know bad things happen. And if we're honest, we all know that, that bad things are going to happen as well. Uh, if you have a child next to you, earmuff it, right? Just earmuff ears. It's not too bad. It's kind of, But um, life's hard, and life's as hard as hell. Let's be honest. It is. You can not earmuff them. I'm done. And, and if you're a Christian, this is as close as you'll experience to that, as the imperfection and distance from God. But what does a Christian do? When the Christian trusts in God, they say, I'm looking to a future where I don't have to have that distance anymore. I don't have to have that distance anymore. And this, this right here, this reality is as hard as it gets. But let's be very real. You and I, we will experience hardship and pain and grief and loss. It's our lot in life. So I want you to know you're not alone, and I want to invite you to trust in him. And then the third thing is, if you if you're, know that you're not alone and you know you're, and, you're, and you're trusting in him, then the next question is, what might he teach me in all of this? Where might he be leading me? Where might God be leading me in all of this? One of the key moves, uh, the main directions of the Holy Spirit is to point us back to Christ, is to say, look at Christ. Look at what he's done. Look at who he is. Look at, look at what he put forth. And he says, I, I, he, Christ, when you look at him and you look at the cross, you see a picture of someone uh, that experienced grief and loss and pain and all sorts of hardship, and he does that to invite you into the family of God. He does that to invite you in, to say, you're a part of this. You don't have to go through this alone because you're with me. And then he invites you into the church who also says, we do this together. If you can't ask the question, and this is a reality, God, where are you leading me in this? Then let's be honest, you're still in the forge, right? There's a forging process that happens, and that's not a pretty... It, it's, it's, you look at it and you're like, wow, that metal is going through a lot, but sometimes it's too hard to ask that question. And that's when you go back to, you're not alone because the Father says, he's with you. But if you can get to that point, you might be learning from God. What does Joseph realize in this story? He, he, he saw them coming and he was outwardly harsh initially and he put them through the ringer. But then later, he realizes he still loves his family. 20 years later, half of his life at that time had been away from his family. But he realizes he still loved them. And in chapter 45, a couple chapters later, he says that he was sent here, that God sent Joseph here through all this stuff before. Why? So that he could preserve the life of his family. He could preserve the life of of his family, and God sent him there.
when Joseph looked in the rearview mirror, he said, I don't know if God caused, and this is me putting it on, my spin on, I don't know if God causes these things to happen. I think so much of it is just things that happen to us, but God can use that. God can use that. And sometimes for Joseph, it was 20 plus years later. I don't know what that looks like for us. Maybe it might just be as simple as a conversation or I've been through that. I will cry with you or I will sit with you. It might just be that. But maybe the question is, if you're asking that question of what can I be learning from God, maybe a simple one. There's all sorts of them, but maybe a simple one is what do I need to hold tighter to? What are the things that that in my suffering I need to hold really, really tight to? The things that won't let me go. And maybe I, I will submit to all of you that needs to be the cross. He suffered. He died for me to have life. Hold extremely tightly to that. And then the other question is, what do I need to hold a little bit looser? Maybe my thoughts or feelings or opinions on something, on an issue. Maybe a relationship is not healthy for me anymore, and so I need to hold that a little bit looser. Maybe it's a habit or a, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's an item or, or something that's binding you, and you just need to say, I need to let that go a little bit more. Mike Newman says this. He says, sorrow may help us open a pathway to depth and meaning that you've never experienced before. Your anguish may increase your gratitude, your faith, your empathy, and your understanding. And I'll add to that, you're not alone. You're not alone. So as you go through that, I want you to just roll. Teach right here. You're not alone. There's an invitation for you to trust him. And then if you can, what might God be teaching me here? What might God be teaching us here? I'll take us an end here on the words of Paul. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope, with that future hope that we have by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.